Jody Lynn Smith on the Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. What a great intro, Dustin. A shout out to you. Uh, we are listening to uh, our show, which is uh, Wow, You're Living the Life. And I'm so happy to have my girlfriend from back home in Maryland of uh, so many years, uh, Sherry Crest, with us today. And good gosh, uh, girlfriend, how are you? I'm doing fine, trying to play catch up and balance what's going on in the golf with my daily job. So it's uh, yeah, quite a challenge. Yep. I, I bet that that's, uh, you know, a lot of us go to work every day and, and uh, we, we face a crisis of the moment. And, uh, but the crisis that's affecting uh, the world is, is something that I think few of us have to deal with. That must be hard for you. Yeah, it has its moments. It, uh, the, the positive side is it, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you're actually contributing uh, to a, a bigger cause. But it, it also, you know, wears on you after a while, too, especially when you're down there. Yeah, gosh, I, I can just uh, imagine, you know, I'm seeing all the, the, the pictures that are coming in there and, uh, you know, reading a lot of the articles and, and that kind of thing. And uh, I guess, you know, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to, to sort of share uh, a little bit uh, with some of our listeners, you know, just uh, what you're all about and why you ended up down in the Gulf. I mean, certainly you, you work for the, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, but you know, how did that, that turn into a passion where you were actually on site at that terrible place? Well, um, we, uh, we, I'm a contaminants biologist, and what we, that's what we do. We do oil spills. We do um, hazardous waste site cleanups, things like that. So we're actually trained to do this kind of work, but we typically don't get a spill of this magnitude that we have to respond to. So when something like this happens, usually the contaminants people are the first ones to step up to the plate and say, you know, take me. I'm ready to go. So what I do is uh, natural resource damage assessment which is a little bit different than the response side of it. It's actually um, involved in a lawsuit that will be, uh, will be settled between BP and, and the, the agencies that have uh, trust wildlife resources like the state and the tribes and the federal agencies. And then we'll, um, we'll settle for a certain amount of money, and then we'll go out and we'll do restoration to restore the, the birds and the shoreline and the marine mammals and other things that were lost as a result of the spill. So wow. that's what I'm involved in. <laughs> and it <laughs> takes many years. <laughs> <laughs> you've, so you've been doing this. Gosh, uh, I know you've got your, your Master's of Science, which is a, a terrific uh, accomplishment in and of itself in environmental biology, but I guess you never really thought you'd be having to use it for something uh, this significant. No. No, as a matter of fact, you, you know, when you start going down that road of education, you, you kind of start picking and choosing the kind of things that you like to do. So when I was working on my master's degree, I, I worked at Fort Detrick. Um, I got interested in contaminants and toxins. And uh, so that just sort of led into uh, a very specialized area and eventually I worked for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So I'm very wow. lucky. I love my job. Oh, so. that's nice. <laughs> you know, I, I actually, I think, you know, women do tend to, to pursue things that, that they're interested in for sure. And then, but somewhere along the line, uh, liking the job becomes uh, maybe a, a secondary uh, priority because we have so many other things to, to balance and that kind of a thing. Uh, I know that um, I met you uh, when I was living in Annapolis, and, and we had quite a lot of uh, issues going on with the Chesapeake Bay, and so many people didn't really even realize that because it was so beautiful and blue, and we enjoyed uh, being out there on our boats and that kind of thing. Did you have to deal with any uh, environmental contamination issues there? In the Chesapeake Bay? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. And uh, 
the the we don't deal with oil spills like yeah. as much as we do <laughs> like down in the Gulf. Um, <laughs> but we do have issues that we have to deal with, like um, sediment and nutrient loading, too much nitrogen and phosphorus getting into the bay, uh, agricultural runoff. It's a, as you know, it's mm-hmm. a very developed area. There yes. are a lot of people in this area with lots of roads and cars and things. Um, Slopping into the bay um, from the surrounding developments and areas and things like that. So we deal with a different kind of contaminant. We uh, also have some industrial um, uh, sites up in Baltimore and other areas that we have to deal with. So yes, uh, we do we do deal with the Chesapeake Bay quite a bit. So. Wow. And so it's, it's almost like from one crisis to another, just like, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, it does seem like uh, your working mom sort of thing, we, we sort of say that uh, we run from one crisis to another, but you're not kidding when you say it, right? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and the crisis is different every day. So, yeah. like, wow. you, know, so th- you never get bored in this job, that's for sure. I, I believe that, gosh. <laughs> wow. So, uh, you know, I, I know that uh, you're, you also uh, find time to be a mom and, and a super person out there in, in the community as well and a and, uh, softball player. You're just very passionate about living your life, and, and I just love your attitude. I just want to do a, a shout-out and salute to you, girl. Oh, thank you. That's nice to hear. <laughs> I think sometimes we focus so much on the negative that you don't realize that, you know, things aren't so bad. Yeah. Some positive things going on, too. So They really are. And, uh, you know, I guess you just recently returned uh, from the Gulf and, and back into the, the normal sort of thing. What did you actually see when you were down there? Um, when I was down there, um, I was in the command center part of the time in Houma, Louisiana. Um, that's where it's, it's actually BP headquarters, the training facility down there, and that's where they set up uh, the incident command center, we call it. So um, all the agencies are there. They operate out of that, that uh, area. It was getting very crowded. It's built for like 100 people, and I think 800 of us were all crammed into that building. So they've put in some trailers and things like that since then. Um, it's very nerve-wracking to work down there um, because it's such a tense emergency situation, and you're, you're, you're in there trying to work with the, the, with the BP folks and their contractors and all the federal agencies and the state agencies and their contractors, and you're all trying to work together to get the job done, but yet you realize that it's, um, you know, it's just a very tense situation, so everybody's edges, their nerves are on edge, and uh, so you got to keep that in mind, that when people snap, they get, they're working very long hours, mm. 16 hours at a time, so oh that wears on you too, um, so you have to be very patient and try not to react to the moment and, you know, take a breather and relax a little bit. But then I did get to go out into the field um, and do some shoreline surveys with uh, looking, uh, verifying the oiling data that we were receiving and making sure that, you know, some of the maps that we were getting were two weeks old and um, were things the same as, it's such a huge area, but I don't think people realize that I was just in the coastline of Louisiana and there's lots of nooks and crannies in the marshes and the oil gets up in there and it's, um, it's not always where you think it's going to be. Mm. So a lot of these areas had been re-oiled or there were new areas popping up. Other areas were as they were two weeks ago, but the oil was weathering now. So things change very rapidly, and we were just there to, make sh- to see what ki- how much oiling was occurring and where the new areas were at. And if we saw any oiled wildlife or birds or 
areas of concern, then when we would report that to the, the bird rehab people, they would come out, get the bird, and take it to be uh, cleaned. So. Wow. You know, uh, we, we have a, a really nifty sort of approach here, Sherry, with uh, Hear Women Talk in that uh, all of our people that listen, they can also chat with us uh, live okay. and yeah, and, and uh, send in their comments and their concerns. And, and by the way, we also are taking calls at 646-652-2071. And uh, we have a, a member, Marilyn Braun, she, she'd like to know if we're ever going to be back to normal in our lifetime. And I'm sure Marilyn must be 25 or 30. Right, right Marilyn? <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I have no idea how old Marilyn is, but I, I, you know, her lifetime. Well, let's let's say next 75 years. Is there any chance that that golf is going to, you know, be back to normal and people are going to be able to see that environment where it needs to be? I hope so. Um, I, you know, that's a good question. I'm not sure. And to be honest, um, there are some areas. It depends a lot on the oil and where it's deposited and the conditions. Um, there are studies that I've seen where the oil gets up into the marsh, and if it's not exposed to oxygen, it tends to stay as it is for decades. Mm. Um, it doesn't weather. It doesn't wear down. The bacteria that normally break down the oil can't get to it because there's no oxygen for the bacteria to use. So it just sort of stays stagnant. And then over time, it just kind of gets buried. Oh. But it's always there. And it, um, in other places, like on beaches where there's lots of... Uh, the oil is getting uh, moved around, and there's lots of oxygen, and the bacteria can wear the oil down. Those areas tend to improve much faster. So, it, you know, it really depends on how much and where that oil is deposited, and then the uh, the qualities of the oil, too. So, Well, you know, and I... Uh I'm very interested in the environment, I care about the environment, don't have that science background. So I'm, I'm somewhat curious with the, the, the Gulf of Mexico being uh, all the attributes that it has, is it possible that uh, the, the currents can, can take it inland or are the hurricanes that maybe hit there can uh, make the damage worse? I mean, is that even part of the equation? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and they watch the news and they watch the weather reports very carefully and yeah, as you know, we've be, we've started the hurricane season. We dodged Alex, um, mm. but you know the the currents um, the currents down there are uh, the tides are controlled um, a lot by the wind rather than you know they are in the Chesapeake Bay, which is more um, you know what you would recognize as a regular tidal cycle. Right. Um, so the winds p- play a large part in that uh, system, and it can move. Um, there's lots of talk about it getting into the loop current, going around the tip of Florida and coming up the East Coast. Lots of concern about that. Um, and they, they watch it very very closely. So we'll just have to see what the weather patterns do and just try to track it and be there before it happens and hopefully uh, do as much damage control as possible. So there's a, a lot of technology out there where, where we can actually uh, zoom in and, and sort of do some, um, I'm going to call it triage. If, if the wind kicks up and it starts to go in a direction, can we redirect it? Can we capture it? Uh, you know, what can we do? You know, I'm not, I'm not involved with that part of, the, of the, the, actually the capturing of the oil or anything. I do the wildlife side of it. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not familiar with all the latest technology that they have. I'm sure if you got on the BP website there's, or or the or Google it or whatever, you're going to find a lot of information on what's going on, um, and we'll show you the currents and things. Um, every day they put out a map 
for the people who are working on the spill that shows where the oiling is at. But I don't, I'm not privy to the weather reports that, you know, I know that there is a section in HOMA that tells people what the weather reports are looking like and gets that news out to, to folks and they kind of, they follow the, um, they call it the glob, um, this big mass of oil and they follow it and they watch to see if the streamers are breaking off and where they're headed so they can get the booms out there um, before it hits and just get prepared. So, um, but as for, I mean, a lot of people ask me how many, how many skimmer boats are out there, you know, why aren't they putting more boats out there? I'm not familiar with how many boats are, are currently out on the water or, or what their activities are. It's such a huge response. Um, there's just so many players involved. It's, you just can't um, comprehend the size of this. You know, it's hard to get your hands around it. You know, I, I think that that's uh, sort of a, a, a benefit and maybe a downside of all the, the technology that we have out there to, to follow and track issues from, from Facebook to Twitter to uh, Yahoo News and all of those things is that there is that potential for information overload and you can sort of feel powerless and, and, and helpless to, to do the one part that you really are an expert at and, and something that you, you, can, you can focus your efforts on. Uh, I know that... Uh, one of the really nifty sort of uh, resources for finding out what's actually happening and seeing the boats and that kind of thing on a visual standpoint, believe it or not, is NASA. And uh, you're talking about all these different players out there, and people immediately go to, I, I would assume, EPA or Fish and Wildlife Service, but they don't realize that NASA also is tracking the currents and the boats and the oil. And so there's some really nifty things. If you want to Google different images uh, from NASA, you might see that kind of thing. Uh, hey, Sherry, so uh, when we come back from uh, our break, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the wildlife side of, of you know, what you saw uh, uh, you know, on the shorelines. I know we had some, some discussions about uh, you know, just really what that experience is like when you're close up to it, and, and I'd, I'd like you to maybe um, bring our, our listeners a little bit closer to the real-life experience that you had. And we'll be back in a few minutes on the Jody Lynn Smith Show, and wow, you are living the life. We're here with Sherry Crest, Environmental Contaminant Supervisor. And you're listening to Wow, You're Living the Life with me, your host, Jody Lynn Smith. And today I have the privilege of uh, chatting with my girlfriend from back home, uh, Annapolis, Maryland, for, uh, I guess, a decade or so before coming to Myrtle Beach. I've got Sherry Crest here, and she's uh, a biologist with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And certainly uh, she has been in touch with a lot of the uh, tough issues going on back home in the Chesapeake Bay area and also you know, the crisis, including the one in the Gulf oil spill. Uh, welcome back, uh, Sherry, and I'm so glad that, that uh, you, you do took your lunch hour with me today. <laughs> no problem. A lot, lot different than how we usually spend the end of our weeks, huh? Yes, it's different. <laughs> well, yeah. Annapolis is a, is a good town for, for girlfriends, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's small enough to get to know each other, but yet it's, uh, it's big enough that you have uh, a wide variety of different people that you talk to. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's a great place. That's so nice. And, and, and it's kind of a, one of the things I, I like about, uh, you know, the, the old haunt is it is a place to, to meet with friends and, and really focus on the, the positive and, and uh, you know, things because there's a, a lot of bad stuff out there and we, and we know it. And, and I guess you're just back from uh, the, the, the golf and you were really just seeing some of that really 
awful stuff, you know, happening on the, on the shorelines and maybe even in the command center if for those of us <laughs> who are listening on the, the first end, there's a lot of tension and, and not a whole lot of sleep going on down there, right? Yes, yes. It's, uh, everybody's a little on edge right now, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do rotate you through, so you, you go down and you spend a few weeks, but there's some people that you, you sort of feel guilty when you're not there um, oh. because you feel like you should be helping out but yet, you know, there's qualified people down there as well that have taken your place, and you really do need to step away from it. Otherwise, it'll it'll eat you up. And there's some people that have been down there for over a month now straight, and you can tell when you see them that it's it's starting to wear on them. And uh, they have to, some of them have to be told to go home for wow. a while. So, you know, one of the things that that I that I see a lot of times, uh, you know, when there is this this crisis, uh, and you know, we've actually had a lot of people. Uh, on our show that that really are living the life you know certainly behind the desk and then out there getting into the situation and 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 they see that uh, you know they get a lot of help from a lot of people and sometimes it's volunteers and sometimes it's celebrities I, I think I even uh, uh, noticed and, and uh, a few of our, our listeners have noticed that uh, Kevin Costner is all over the news now about he's got the money and he's got the answers I mean, do, you, do you ever see that sort of thing happening when you're down there um Actually, I try to avoid <laughs> limelight as much as possible. Um, I went, when I was in Venice, uh, we, we took a lot of airboats out of uh, Venice, and the press was hanging out in that area. And I, you, you, I pull up into the, the parking lot, uh, which I find hilarious because um, there was a, the, the Today Show was set up, mm. and they had their umbrella, and they were, and if you looked where the cameras were facing, they had a beautiful view of a bayou. Mm. I mean, it was just absolutely pic- picturesque, perfect. Everything looked look great. At, yes, it looked lovely. And if, but if you turn the cameras the other way, you were looking at the back of the stinkiest barnacle-covered dumpster <laughs> you ever saw in your life. And <laughs> I like it. You know, I'd pull into the parking lot and I'd see them set up, and I'm thinking, you know, it's all it's all on how they present it, <laughs> what kind of view people are going to see. You know, because if you turned it around the other side, you're going to see a totally different perspective. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny that it was actually literally right there, the, the yin and the yang, right within the uh, oh, spin angle. It was, angle it was the most hideous dumpster you ever saw in your life. And it smelled so bad <laughs> that, you know, I'm surprised they could even stand it. You know, if they could, they're, they're really very professional if they could stand that uh, downwind of the dumpster. Mm. But anyway, I would get out of the car and I would uh, try to make a beeline to the airboat because I, I just wanted to get on the boat, do my job, and and try to be as, you know, unnoticed as possible <laughs> to get there. And uh, so it, it was it was quite a take your hat off, put your life vest on, and hope nobody really <laughs> notices you. But they were all hanging around in that area waiting for somebody to talk to. Oh, I bet. So. And and you're you're actually, uh, you know, obviously very, very skilled and, and very well qualified in your field, but you're also very approachable and uh, I'm sure they, they saw you and said, hey, there's our media contact. <laughs> Here they come. It's like, Let's hurry go. up, jump on the airboat, drive away. <laughs> she's a woman and she's a scientist. This will be great. <laughs> uh, or throw some one of your other poor colleagues to the, you know, to the wolves while you jump on the airboat. But no, really, they're not that bad. But yeah. It's just, you know, a lot of times the questions that they ask you are not the ones you're prepared to answer. Mm. And you don't want to look foolish, you know, when they say, hey, you know, what about my homemade hair boom that I made and I brought down here? Can I put it out in the water and stuff like that? And, oh, you know, wow. Like, well, 
you know, the questions you, you're not prepared to answer. Yeah. <laughs> and you're <laughs> the like, ones they uh oh. Ask. Then what do you do? And of course, you want to be helpful and you, and you want to do, but you, you also have a job to do as, as well. And uh, that's not part of it. <laughs> yeah. And, and there are a lot of people with really good intentions, like kids that are just driving through that want to stop and help. Mm. Um, uh, people who just, you know, they really feel the need to do something, but they don't know what to do. And you try to tell them, you know, listen, you really need a lot of safety um, training. You, you just can't go out there and start working with this stuff without knowing what to do and, um, you know, having some measure of uh, training behind you and experience. So they get frustrated, you know, just like everybody else. Yeah, so. gosh. And, and you, have to, you have to sort of deal with that. And I imagine your, your motherly instinct comes out there. So I, I do know that, that you have a – obviously, I know that you have a daughter and uh, – um, some experience with with kids that want to be involved and and uh, you know just just don't necessarily know how to do it. So that that's a tough challenge because you you want to motivate them to get that education and yet you're still back to the situation you have a job to right. do. Yep. So it's uh, it's definitely a balancing act. And it would be better if I had like a number to give people if they wanted to help out and volunteer. So I got on the internet today and I tried to find that number. But to be honest, it it sounds like volunteers are not. Uh, not being encouraged to come down. It, mm. um, the, the states, uh, there's some links and some volunteers uh, groups in each of the states that are utilizing uh, folks, but you know, there's nothing organized through like the, the Spill Command Center or anything like that. So, sorry. Wow. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it's just one of those uh, un unfortunate sort of things that, that uh, people want to help and they can't help. The sad part, the yin and yang, the positive part of that is, I guess, is that, you know, this isn't going to be a problem that's going to be around for a while. And, and when the emergency and real critical peace does pass, I'm, I'm certain that there'll be mission groups and school groups and all kinds of things where, where people will have it, uh, a chance to get involved. And, and uh, maybe this crisis can be a, a motivation to really get some of that training and that, that expertise so that you can be helpful. You know? And a lot of times people don't think about this kind of uh, things, like getting prepared for an emergency like this until it actually happens and then it's too late. Yeah. Uh, we tend to get really complacent when, you know, things are going pretty good and, oh, I don't need to take that training or I don't need to worry about that right now. And then all of a sudden it happens and everybody's like, why didn't I take this? And you know, so it, it happens every time after an after emergency event like this. But I did notice on the uh, Internet that if um, people really want to help out that they can uh, – they're encouraging people to um, hold fundraisers and things and donate the money to uh, different non-governmental organizations or bird rehab centers and things like that. That's definitely something people people can do. Wow. Well, that you know that that's very helpful. And in fact, uh, you know what we can do is uh, you know after the show or even if you if you remember some of those sites and you want to tell us, uh, we can put it on herewomentalk.com and people can go and and just very quickly and easily find out you know what they can do and where they can do it. You know. I'd like to get back to uh, you know just some of the things that you experienced and, and that you uh, saw when when you were down there and you know more on the personal sort of a level. You know, I wonder, were any did you do you feel that any of the people that are working there or or even um, are are there presently did they ha do you have that post traumatic stress uh, syndrome sort of uh, reaction when they come back and you know do do you have this ex is this a sort of experience you relive in, in some other fashion? Yeah, it's uh, when you come back, you feel like you sort of have one foot in, in Louisiana, one foot in Annapolis. And, 
you're not really sure. You're kind of torn. You're, you're trying to readjust to your old job and pick up, you know, where you left off on a lot of. I have 16 natural resource damage assessment cases that I'm currently working on. So, you oh, try to pick up where you left off, but you know, half your colleagues are down in Louisiana too. So you're thinking, you know, what's going on down there? Are they, how are they doing? And uh, but you don't want to bother them because you know they're busy. So, anyway, yeah, you do. You feel like you have. You're you're kind of in in two places at one time. And then you adjust. So, yeah. but uh, it, it definitely. Uh, and, and then when you hear stuff on the press, and you think, well, that's not really what I, you know, experienced down there. You know? Wow. So, yeah. Different. And, and yeah. you're you're sort of motivated. Listen, I, I'm going to get on the phone right now, and I'm going to tell them what it's really like. And and of course, you can't. You don't have time for that. And and and, uh, and that sort of thing. But I guess that you just get all these triggers all the time that just prevent you from ever disconnecting from that experience. Yeah, one thing I noticed, um, you know, you, you, I, I'm sure a lot of people are very angry down there, the fishermen who can't go out and fish and, and the shrimpers and things like that. But the people that I met while I was down there were kind of, well, we had Katrina to deal with, and, you know, we got through that, and now we've got this to go through. So I wouldn't say they're raging angry, but mm. they're, they're upset, but then disappointed and hurt and, and that. But I didn't see that level of anger that you would expect. Um, they just sort of accept it as one more thing they're going to have to deal with. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and what bothered me most down there is, um, uh, you know, up here in the Chesapeake Bay, yes, we have oystermen, yes, we have crabbers, and, and you know, they live watermen that live off the water and things. But the, just the, the amount of people in Louisiana that lead that lifestyle and just the diversity of, of, of different things that are, that are down there. I mean, pulling crabs out, blue crabs, just everywhere, and oysters and shrimp boats. Everybody has a shrimp boat, it seems like, and it's just like, oh my gosh, you know, the impact to these people is just overwhelming. And it really gets to you after a while, and you kind of have to, you know, I'm getting all choked up right now, think about it, but (laughs) (laughs) it does get to you. That, that that is a, something that uh, that I think happens to to a lot of women. We get so deeply immersed in in uh, the cause that's important to us, and 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 then and we sort of have that that unity and that affinity with those that are around us that are that are helping as well. Uh, we're getting ready to take a break, and when when we come back, I'd like to talk to you about some of the the, the people that you met from the the big corporate world, and and uh, you know it's really easy for us to to villainize uh, you know the big bad. Uh, companies behind there, but I bet you you maybe met uh, some of the, the good guys too, and, and I'd like to hear about uh, what you saw that was happening, and and also you know if you really think a lot of what we hear in the media, as you mentioned earlier, is is on spot in terms of you know uh, is, are the big companies all about money, or, or are you seeing you know what's happening down there? Are they really pitching in? And and you were there firsthand, so when we come back, everybody, uh, to uh, wow, you're living the life. You're going to talk with Sherry Crest and. I welcome your calls at 646-652-2071. She's an environmental contaminant supervisor with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and a woman who's truly living the life. Thanks a lot, Sherry. We'll be back soon. Okay. 
And you are listening to Wow, You're Living the Life with me, your host, Jody Lynn Smith, and my girlfriend from back home in Maryland, Sherry Crest, an ordinary woman who's doing extraordinary things uh, every day back in the, the Chesapeake Bay region. And, and uh, she's just returned from a, a rotation down at the, the Gulf oil spill site where she certainly did a, a lot of uh, extraordinary things uh, in a leadership capacity and, and motivating those around her. And then also, you know, just really helping out with uh, the, the animals and, and the wildlife that, that was just totally decimated by this terrible crisis. And I'm so glad to have Sherry here to, to sort of motivate us all to think passionately about being able to do something no matter where we are. Hi, Sherry. Hi. <laughs> You know, you are living the life. We were chatting on the break, like, woohoo! You know, I, 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 I love the free spirit of you know the willing to, to take risks, Jody. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, you know, I mean, she was down in the middle of uh, one of the worst crises that uh, we've certainly seen in the environment, and uh, and and you managed to keep a positive spirit and and focus on getting things done, and then jump right back in here and be, and be the single mom that you are, and and the good friend and awesome softball players, as I know. <laughs> so I call you extraordinary, and, I, and I'm glad to, to catch up with you again, girl. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You know, one, one of the cool things about uh, the, this radio show is it's part of uh, hearwomentalk.com. It's a social interactive network, and it's, you know, it's kind of like Facebook, and that's cool, but it's also got all these groups and, and ways for, for women to get together and, and uh, do real-life real activities and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and so, uh, you know, it, it's kind of neat just sort of recognizing that, that we women, we do need each other, and, and maybe it's enlightening each other with the, the good facts that you're sharing today, and then sometimes it's just empowering with, hey, if she can do it, so can I. So, you know, shout out to you, girl. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hey, so, you know, uh, on the break and a little bit before, we had a lot of our members sort of, you know, really uh, sharing a lot of things that they heard and maybe even experienced uh, out there, which is, you know, that, that anger piece of, uh, you know, towards big corporate America. And, and you know, I've had some people wanting to know if, if Shell was involved, if some of the other big oil companies were were using this terrible crisis in any advantageous way to to sort of uh, you know talk about what they were doing that was good for the environment. I mean, did you experience that, or do you see that sort of stuff in in your day to day doing? No, I didn't. Um, uh, I you know, like I said, we all have our role to play down there, and I was in a in a separate area. So I di- I'm not privy to what's, what's going on. In fact, I would go back to my room at night and actually watch the news to kind of get the bigger picture of what was you know, being said, because you're, you're just working on one tiny facet of a, of a huge um, response. Mm. So, uh, no, I didn't see anything like that. Um, uh, the BP folks are, um, because under the law, it states that the, the company that is responsible for the oil spill must pay for it, they are, te- they are definitely involved in um, uh, discussions on what kind of studies are going to take place because they're ultimately going to pay for it. And I, I think people think this is somehow some exception to how it should be done, but this is how we have always done oil spills. And personally, I think it's, it's, it's the right way to do it because the, the responsible party should be responsible, mm. and they should pay for it. Absolutely. And, and it makes it much easier if you agree up front to do, to do the work uh, together rather than, okay, we always have the option of saying, let's say, um, 
you know, the BP decides, no, I don't want you to do that study. We try to negotiate. It doesn't work out that way. I still feel very uh, confident that I need to go out and do that study. I still have the, the ability to go out and do it anyway. You do? And Yes. Oh, yes. I can go out and do the study anyway. And I will submit the costs later to BP and say, okay, here's the study I did. And they'll say, well, I didn't approve that study, so I'm not going to pay for it. They have that option as well. But that doesn't, it doesn't stop you from going out and doing the studies you feel are necessary, even though they, they don't agree to pay for them or they, they don't like them up front. So I, just, I don't think people understand that. I think they think, well, if BP says no, that's no, and you know, they kind of hold, they, they have all the control, which is not the case. Well, wow, that, so, that is an interesting perspective. You know, we, we see that we've got the corporate entity and we've got the government entity, and, it, and it's real easy to, to depersonalize it and, 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 and realize that, you know, gosh, it's all about them. But, but really it's about us, and, and it's about, you know, being passionate about wh what you believe is, is your role. And, and your role may not just be to, to do your job. It might be to do what you think is right. And, yeah. and, and that's, that's what I'm hearing. I, I, I just love that about your personality. And yet you are not only a woman scientist out there, but you're a, you know, a, a, a woman in a leadership position, and, and you really have that uh, ability to, to motivate others, and, and, and they can sort of follow suit in your character. So I, I, I just want to shout out to you on that one too, girl. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you, uh, I was um, I was oh, over the weekend I went home. My nephew graduated, and one of my aunts said something, and I I, I told her, I said, you know, she says, well, when you supervise people, and I said, I already do supervise people, and I have, I have uh, three men who work for me, and uh, they're all very professional, and they, they don't require a lot of um, oversight or anything like that. They're, they're very exceptional, but I think, you know, she, right, right, she kind of raised her eyebrows, like, surprised that, you know, I had three male staff people that, you know, I supervised, and, you know, I, I think that's, you know, for the for some people, that's still kind of a surprise, which you know isn't for me. I'm used to it, so um, and I, and I enjoy it. They're very they're very professional guys. So wow. anyway, <laughs> now, you know, I, I think that that is that is important. Can you share some of the 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 scientific uh, sort of things that, that that you do when you're on the field? I mean, we've all seen the the the, the birds and 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 the ducks, uh, you know, covered in oil and. I don't think really, you know, our listeners know what it's like to walk along that shoreline and, and see some of what, what you've seen. Can, can you kind of uh, create that visual picture for us? Uh-huh, sure. Um, you know, like I said, when I was down there, I was looking for oiled shoreline. So I wasn't out there looking specifically for, for oiled wildlife. We have a separate group that does that. But anyway, while you're out there, you, of course, do find things that uh, you weren't expecting. And when we were down at the, the dock, we are getting waiting for our airboat uh, guys to come in uh, with the boats. Uh, we were talking to a local person, and he said, you know, you know, we were out there, um, you know, just yesterday or whatever, and we saw this one island that is just covered in birds, and it's only partially, you know, boomed off. And, you know, uh, we're really worried about it. We, you know, they, they asked us if we would go check it out. And uh, it wasn't on our, you know, our scheduled route for the mm. day, but we're like, yeah, we're going to, we'll go check it out. So at the end of the day, after we were finished with what we needed to do, we, we, um, we went, it's about a mile out into the, into the, into the bay. And then we went out there and checked it out. And sure enough, there were just thousands and thousands of birds, um, nesting on this little island area. 
And, I mean, we're talking white pelicans, brown pelicans, roseate spoonbills, um, just uh, terns, gulls, just you name it. They're just, you know, all everywhere on that oh. island. And sure enough, one half of it was boomed. But what had happened, they put the boom out on, in the area that was, you know, the direction the oil would be coming from. But what had happened was is the wind moved it around to the other side of the island, and it was oiled all over the backside of the island. Mm. And um, it's awesome. Uh, it's hard to see some of the birds are brown, like brown pelicans. Yeah. And brown oil on a brown pelican is hard to see when you're a good distance away from them. But you can kind of tell that they don't act right. And uh, so this one pelican was just kind of sitting there, and you're going by on a boat. It should take off flying, but this bird had a really tough time getting off the water. It waited to the last second, and then he was kind of like, uh, trying to take off. Oh, and uh, so you could tell that bird was oiled. So we definitely called that. We called the, the bird group to come in and, and capture that bird um, and, and take him to the, to the rehab place to be oiled. But um, a lot of the, uh, the other things that we saw, we saw... Um, some Kemp Ridley's turtle, which is an endangered uh, turtle. Uh, we saw one that was had been washed up on the shoreline, but we couldn't tell if it was because of the oil or another cause that might have killed this this uh, endangered species. So we saw uh, green sea turtles and things like that also out there. Lots of pelicans. Um, so anyway, just a variety of different different things that were oiled. Um, and, and then other days you would see everything would seem to be fine. Wow. So. And it, so it's kind of like the Today Show uh, sort of picture, you know, sometimes you're seeing it and you feel like you, you've made this impact and then the next day maybe not. Uh, Turn you the know, cameras around. And one, of our members, uh, one of our members, Dawn Owens, uh, has uh, sent in a chat uh, request and, and she'd like to know, you know, whenever you, you do uh, sort of clean off these birds, do, do they naturally find their way back to the nests? And then I'd like to sort of a follow-on question from an, uh, another member, Jane, and she wants to know, if uh, once uh, they are cleaned, are they in fact, uh, do they ever get back into a contaminated area again? Do you have to clean the same bird again? I mean, what's, what's how, how big is this issue? Um, that's a good question. Um, normally when they bring the birds in, they'll, they'll uh, clean the bird and then they put them at, like in rehab and he, he or she, the bird, will um, recuperate. And then when it's time to uh, release the bird, they usually take that bird far away from the oil spilled area. They don't hmm. release it back to where they, they captured it unless that area is obviously cleaned up and contained. But in this case, it's such a broad area that they're taking them much farther away and releasing them um, in, in a different area. So actually, it, I hope they don't find their way back. Yeah, I see what you're uh, saying, yeah. They, you know, if the area is still impacted, we don't want them to come back to the same area. Of course, some of the birds, um, they do come back. And I'm sure that there are, are birds that are repeatedly um, cleaned up and, and released. But we try very hard not to do that, you know, to put them in a clean area. Mm. You know, and and it's, very stressful, it's very stressful for a bird to get oiled and oh. to get cleaned. Oh, and, I can just and imagine. And to be re released. So you, you definitely don't want to keep stressing this bird out. Wow. And, and it, it, I'm just somewhat curious, uh, is it mostly birds that, that you're dealing with, or are there other types of, of uh, wildlife that are affected that, that you're involved in? 
Um, yeah, my agency is that we have our trust resources, migratory birds, but uh, the marine turtles are mm-hmm. another group that are coming up oiled. They get sent to the zoo down there, and the, the zoo folks rehab them there and, and other people, and then they, they uh, release them later. So there's, um, you know, it depends on what's oiled. Um, we also will clean mammals. Um, you know, usually don't get as many of those, um, especially in a, an open water area like this. Um, you know, I've never seen an oiled fish, but I'm just, <laughs> I don't know how you'd rehab an oiled fish. But, yeah. Um, you have? Usually the, the, no, I have not. Oh. I haven't seen <laughs> that. But, uh, you know, um, usually by the time, you know, you see an oiled fish, they're usually dead. So, wow. Um, but, yeah, uh, oiled, um, I've seen dolphins, um, or I've heard of dolphins, actually. So I'm sure they go to the aquarium as well to get rehabbed. Mm. Wow, you know it, it's just uh, it's so hard to to see all these things, and I'm a scuba diver uh, as well. And uh, you know that the golf was one of the places that I had wanted to go and, and hadn't yet had a chance to. And I'm somewhat, uh, pretty much assuming that I'm not going to be able to do that. But you know, I did also you know scuba dive quite a bit in the Keys. Uh, do do we see any uh, any thoughts about the, the the effect on the wildlife coming down that far? Do you think? Yeah, um, some of the states are already, especially Florida, is is very proactive and and getting ready for, um, uh, you know, their beaches getting oiled and things like that. And of course, some of them already have. But uh, they're they're you know even here in Maryland and Virginia, we're talking about well, what happens if it gets in the loop current? And they're starting to get prepared up here on the East Coast in case wow. that happens. And uh, identifying priority and habitats and, you know, areas that we would be concerned about and, and starting to think about, you know, what are we going to do if it comes our way. Um, so, yes, uh, there's a lot of talk um, about preparing for it. And usually when a spill happens, you don't have the lead time to get ready for something like this. So this is a bit unusual because, you know, depending on where it goes, we can be prepared for it and that usually doesn't always happen so wow. we have an advantage <laughs> yeah you know that it's 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 hard that there's this issue and that there's uh, issues just like it everywhere and, and uh, we're getting ready to take a break but when we come back i'd like to talk about uh some of the things you sent me a wonderful article on the trail of toxics and uh i'm going to try and, and put a copy of that article on hearwomentalk.com for everyone to see it but you know i'd like to talk a little bit about you know what what some of the dangers are far beyond the oil and and some ways that people can maybe get involved locally to address some environmental issues because that whole toxicology issue is is huge and we can't necessarily help out down the golf but maybe we can help out close to home and so we're going to take a break now this is jody lynn smith on the zeus radio network for hear women talk And you're listening to Wow, You're Living the Life with me, your host, Jody Lynn Smith, and my girlfriend from back home, Sherry Quest. Uh, Sherry's a, a biologist and a, a contaminants uh, supervisor and uh, remediation expert from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and uh, she's returned from the, the Gulf oil spill. Sherry's also uh, been in a leadership role as an acting, um, was it acting assistant deputy secretary? Is that what you were? Oh, no, no. Uh, uh, I was deputy field supervisor. See, that's a lot of title. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, I mean, but it's all about, uh, you know, uh, being a woman and, and thinking that we can do everything. And, 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 I, and I think we do a lot of times have that, that view. And, and you certainly are living the life uh, out there, certainly. Uh, helping back home in, in Annapolis and, and also in this crisis situation. That, uh, I noticed that you were in an article that uh, we're going to be putting on herewomentalk.com on the trail of toxics. And I just wanted if you to maybe share a little bit about some of the issues that uh, people can get involved in locally and, and sort of help out, even if they can't be specifically uh, helping out with that oil spill in the Gulf. Um, yeah, there, uh, the article that you're mentioning was actually uh, focusing on um, public lands that are have contaminant issues. And um, with Fish and Wildlife Service, we have the National Wildlife Refuges. And a lot of these, uh, well, not a lot, but, you know, quite a few of these um, refuges have contaminant issues, and they could be anything from, like, shooting ranges with uh, lead shot, which is uh, what I was working on uh, in the article. Um to unexploded ordnance from, you know, previously used military lands that uh, when they were decommissioned, um, they gave them over to the Department of the Interior or uh, somehow we acquired them and now we have to clean up the, uh, the contaminants related to that. So it, it's a wide variety of different things. Um, in this job, you have, uh, you know, a variety of different chemicals and um, wildlife issues to deal with. So it's... Uh, very interesting to, to work on. I know it can be very depressing at times. People think, oh, you know, how can you do this kind of work? You know, you see sick and dying things all the time. Yeah. But it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like, uh, for me, it's kind of like being, well, if I'm going to date myself here, uh, Quincy, you know, and oh, you're yeah. watching the old, um, you know, forensics kind of mysteries that you're, you're trying to solve, or CSI for the newer people. And um, you're trying to solve a mystery here, but, it, you know, it does get to you after a while if you really really think about it. So you try to maintain a professional, you know, face and, and take it that way. But as for what people can do in their, um, in their lives, um, just being aware, I think, of uh, what kind of, um, you know, inputs you have into the environment, your everyday um, things that you could do, you know, do you really need to take that car down and go to the shopping mall by your, you know, and, and then make a separate trip to go do something else? Or can you, can you, you know, repattern your route and combine things and use less, less emissions? Um, uh, there's all just sorts of things, you know, how many household or lawn chemicals people use just on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, the chemical companies are really good at convincing you that you need this. And uh, boy, you know, that that nasty dandelion growing up in your lawn is going to ruin it for everybody, and they're all going to be talking about you in the neighborhood. You know, <laughs> does it really matter? You know, yeah. is my point. But you know, uh, think about it before you start applying things, and and use you use your brain, and right. just you know, be aware of what you're doing and what you're putting in there, and um, and then actively think about it. Kids are really good at this because uh -huh. they learn. They learn, even, even my daughter will catch me doing things, you know, and I hadn't thought about it because I've always done it and mm. I'm not thinking. And she'll go, Mom, you know, do you really need to, you know, you know spray that stuff or do you really need that? Isn't that <laughs> interesting? Like, now you get me thinking. I they, don't know. <laughs> they sort of know, uh, they sort of know when we're, we're overdoing it uh, more so than, than we do and, and uh, you know, as, as people just out there living our lives every day, gosh. You know, one of the things that I that I noticed in in, in the article, uh, especially, is that 
you know, you, we obviously we see these things and, and, and um, you know, they see the effect and, and how what things that big companies do and also things that we do. And, uh, but what I noticed is that you spend a lot of your experience and, and work with frogs. And I'm wondering if that's just something you like, frogs, or, or are frogs really indicative of a lot of environmental sort of things, or, or what have we got going on here? Um, actually, yes. Yes, they are. They're, um, and I, I know this is overused cliche that we use a lot in science, but um, frogs have been called the canary in the coal mine. They're indicators of what is going on in a wetland environment. Um, they... Uh, because they live out there 24-7, um, they're impacted by a lot of different uh, stressors that we mm. talk about. And, you know, I might focus on contaminants, but there are a lot of other things like drought. Um, there could be uh, different weathering patterns, like an increase in temperature. There could be disease. It could be overcrowding. There could be predators. There's a whole bunch of different things that, that stress an animal. Yeah. And amphibians... Um, you know, fit into a lot of food chains. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, other critters uh, depend on amphibians uh, for food. And, and uh, so anyway, yes, they're, they're an important um, organism to look at in wetland areas. Um, how I got involved with them, uh, when I worked at Fort Detrick, we were, I uh, was actually looking at uh, pharmaceuticals, and we were using um, tadpoles, very, very young, like eggs, just fertilized eggs, we were exposing different kinds of pharmaceuticals to get an idea of what kind of birth defects might happen if, um, if they were exposed to these kind of chemicals. And oh. it just happened to be I worked with the amphibians, and then I got interested in the amphibians in a different way, you know, for the sake of the amphibian, not more of the, as a side effect of a drug kind of thing. So that's how I got involved in, wow. in amphibians. You know, it, it is sort of interesting how, how these little experiences that, that we have end up maybe uh, affecting our, our entire life and, and also the, the really big experiences like, gosh, you know, the offshore drilling has been a, an issue for a, a lot of people for a long time and uh, people that are concerned about the environment and that kind of thing, you know, they, they look at these big crises as an opportunity to, to take that passion to another level. And, you know, from a science posi you know, position, what, what do you think about offshore drilling, by the way? Um, you know, I, I will be, um, because I'm not really involved in the drilling industry, um, mm -hmm. the, especially the deep water drilling part of it, um, I have concerns um, just because I know, uh, as you can see, all the bad things that can happen as a result of it. Um, but when I was down there, all uh, the people who were, are, in, are affected by it are shrimper people, and a lot of them also work in the oil industry. So they're like, well, you know, now that I can't shrimp, I have to turn and work for the oil companies now. And so, but you won't let me drill now. So I think whatever we need to do, we need to find out what happened during that, um, that accident, find out what we can and cannot do to contain it. And then, um, but I'm worried about what the local economy will be down there. If, uh, if they can't work in the oil industry, too. So, right. yeah, I'm worried from an environmental perspective, and, uh, you know, part of me wants very much to say, no, don't do it until we do it, you know. And then another part of me is going, well, the reality is these people depend on this industry, so we've got to come up with an answer quickly, and um, otherwise they're going to be in worse off shape. So, you know, I'm kind of torn. You know, th that's another thing about this this profession is, is that... Um, there's no easy answers. 
mm-hmm. you know, and you find out um, a lot of people like to think very simplistically about, you know, this is bad, this is good, but a lot of it is, you know, gray. And uh, wow. so, as a as a scientist, uh, you you really are trained to to look at both sides and, and really evaluate what what's happening and and what should happen and what can happen. And uh, I guess that that puts you in a in a in a good role, but also in a challenging space, and, and uh, really touches on your your womanly uh, intuition and wiles at the same time, wouldn't you say? Yes, <laughs> you'll find out. It, it, it's amazing. I find um, most of the bird rehab people mm-hmm. are women. They're, they're over ninety-five percent, I would say, women that really? work in the in the area that actually cleans the birds and and releases them. I think it's because of a nurturing thing, a need to to heal. Mm. And uh, but you'll you'll see that. And, you know, it's 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 you know it because most of the you know a lot of the people that I work with are men. You know, right. in the scientific field. And uh, but this this one unique niche is primarily women. So. Anyway, I just always figured it was probably the nurturing aspect of them. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. And, and, you know, it does sort of uh, bring about a question of, of uh, you know, what is the, the best and, and the worst thing about, uh, you know, being a woman in, in that field? Um, you know, for the, for the most part, um, you know, I, I would like to, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, um, a lot of the women who've been around for a very long time, I'm sure, had it really hard coming in the door, and um, but, but they paved the way very well for us who are, who are younger and are coming in now. Um, I don't feel, um, you know, like there's any kind of, like I'm treated differently. Mm. Um, I don't feel like uh, they look at me differently because I'm a woman. Um, so I, I don't... I, I maybe I'm just naive. <laughs> I don't pick up on it. <laughs> well, you are blonde. I mean, I you know yeah, I'm not, I'm not going that, anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to mention that part. But um, but I, I don't feel that that kind of um, you know prejudice or anything like that. Um, but again, you know, I like to think it's because of uh, the women who came before me as scientists that did an excellent job and gained the respect of uh, their male counterparts. So. Wow. And and I think that's uh, you know, such a, a nice sort of uh, way to maybe welcome more and more women into the, the, the field of science. You know, a lot of us are going back to college, uh, reinventing ourselves and, and uh, you know, thinking about ways to follow a passion that maybe we couldn't do before. And, and now that, you know, women like yourself and, and also the, the, the fine people you referenced are, you know, kind of made it open the door a little bit. And, and, and maybe there are some ways that people can get training and, and get involved either on the marketing and PR side side of, of the issue or the science side and just, you know, really give back and really help out in this passion. Yep. So I encourage you, if you're even thinking about science, to definitely look into the environmental field. It's, it's competitive, but it's worth it. <laughs> I, think, I think that's so great. You know, I, I think like 10 years ago when I was looking at getting my master's, uh, they were actually discouraging women from, from being in the field because they said there, there really wasn't a job for you out there. And, and sadly, there's a lot of jobs out there certainly going to be now and, and, and going forward because we, we keep having these issues and some brought on by ourselves and some brought on by, uh, you know, disasters. But, you know, it's, it's, it's good to know that we can have an impact and, and combine our nurturing side and, and, and the brain that, that God gave us as well, of course. So Right. And, and the kind of work I do, I'm not going to, you know, uh, gloss over it. it. It's very physical. Mm. And um, it's, uh, it's hot. It's yeah. buggy. It's, uh, it's tough. Um, but I, I, women can do it just as well as men can do it. You know, you just have to be, you know, pretty thick-skinned. And, 
and have a, some physical um, you know, uh, capacity. Um, so it's not for everybody. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. But if you if you don't mind getting sweaty and dirty, like I told my daughter's class. Um, then this might be the right kind of, if you like working outdoors, this is a good field. Wow. Well, you know, I think that's a, a, a fabulous way to bring our show to a close. And, and uh, this is the, the Jody Lynn Smith Show, and wow, you are living the life. And we've had the privilege of meeting so many uh, ordinary women doing extraordinary things. And my girlfriend, Sherry Crest from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, is one exceptional woman. I'm so glad that you were here with us today, Sherry. And uh, shout out to you and all my friends back in Annapolis uh, on Friday. <laughs> all right. Maybe we'll see you at Rancid. <laughs> yes, indeed, girlfriend. I'll see you soon. All right. All right, right. thanks for being with Mm us. All right, bye-bye. Bye. And this is the Jody Lynn Smith Show on the Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk.